Have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis chapter 41 as we pick up our series on the life of Joseph, God meant it for good. And we'll begin reading at verse number one of Genesis chapter 41. We're going to study down through verse 36 today, but to get us started, we'll just read the first eight verses. Genesis chapter 41, and we'll begin reading there at verse number one. Genesis chapter 41, begin our reading at verse number one. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat flesh, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean flesh, and stood by the other kine upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine, so Pharaoh awoke. And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. And we ask now that you acquire in our hearts and help us to concentrate and focus on your word, to be submissive to the leading of thy Holy Spirit. I pray that you use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Madeline Rockwell shared the following story once in Reader's Digest. She said, my grandmother was a ball of fire and grandpa was slow and deliberate. One night they were awakened by a commotion in the chicken house. Grandma sprang out of bed, ran to the chicken house and found the cause of the racket. It was a large black snake. Having nothing to dispatch it with, she clamped her bare foot down on its head. And there she stood in the chicken house with her bare feet holding down a black snake by its head. And she stood there until Grandpa finally arrived a good 15 minutes later. He was fully dressed and even had his pocket watch in place. <coughs> well, he said cheerfully to my disheveled and enraged grandma, if I'd known you had him, I wouldn't have hurried so. <laughs> have you ever been in one of those situations in your life like grandma? It's not a big black snake, perhaps, but it's a big problem. It's a jam. It's a situation. And you wait and you wait and you cry out and you pray and it seems nothing happens. Why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't he deliver me? Why doesn't he help? And maybe in your very honest moments of life, you'd even say this, not verbally to somebody else, but in your own heart. Why is God so slow? <clears throat> Phillips Brooks, the Boston pastor of yesteryear, was once asked why he was so agitated. And upset. This was his reply. The trouble is that I'm in a hurry. And God isn't. I'm in a hurry. And God isn't. Warren Wiersbe wrote an excellent little book I'd recommend to you. It's called God Isn't in a Hurry. Learning to Slow Down and Live. He wrote, if God can make a believer patient, then God can trust that believer with whatever is in his gracious will. But the school of patience never produces any graduates. 
and it never grants any honorary degrees. We are always learning, always maturing. Sometimes we fail the examination even before we know what the lesson is. No matter, our loving father is guiding us and making us more like his beloved son. And that is all that matters. Patience. Waiting. What is it to be patient? What does it mean to be patient? I think J.I. Packer called it when he said patience means living out the belief, living out the belief that God orders everything for the spiritual good of his children. God orders everything for the spiritual good of his children. Everything, preacher. Well, I remind you of a verse I brought up before with Joseph. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans chapter eight and verse twenty eight. Okay, preacher. Well, why all this talk on patience today? What are you getting at? Where are you going now? Be patient. We'll get there. We need to go back and we need to bring everybody up to speed as to what's been going on with Joseph since we left him last time. If you remember very quickly, Joseph is in prison. He's doing time for a crime that he did not commit. He had been punished for doing right. He had said no. He said no to adultery. He said no to sin. And Potiphar's wife had falsely accused him. And Potiphar angrily locked him up. And there in prison, just like he does everywhere, Joseph rises to the top. He's still a prisoner, but now he's the head prisoner. And one day, two prisoners were added to the general population. Pharaoh's chief baker and Pharaoh's chief butler or cupbearer. And these two men have dreams. And Joseph gives them the interpretation of the dreams as God enables him working through him. If you remember, the baker is hanged, but the butler, the cupbearer, Pharaoh's cupbearer is restored to his office. Now, look back at chapter 40, where we studied some time ago. And I want you to notice a couple of verses. Verse 14 He's speaking to the cupbearer in verse 14. And Joseph says this in Genesis 40, verses 14 and 15. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And there also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Drop down to the last verse of that chapter, verse 23 of chapter 40. Notice what it says. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then drop down to our first verse today, chapter 41. And it came to pass at the end of two full years, two full years. Notice today, first of all, Joseph waiting two full years. Think about two years for a moment. That's a long time to wait. Now, were these wasted years in the life of Joseph? Absolutely not. Think about it. If the chief butler had gotten out right away and had mentioned Joseph to Pharaoh and even secured his release, what would have happened? Well, Joseph may have returned to his family. He may have been reunited with his father and his friends. But what about his God-given dreams? What about God's plan for Joseph? What about the famine that was coming? What would happen then if he had gotten his way? Don't you think that he prayed for release from prison? Sure he did. But Joseph would learn the blessing of unanswered prayers. God had something more wonderful for Joseph in store. 
than merely getting out of jail. The old evangelist Vance Hadner said, he who waits on God loses no time. He who waits on God loses no time. And during those two years, two more years, can you imagine doing time for a crime he had not committed? God was shaping Joseph. God was maturing Joseph. God was preparing him. God was getting him ready for an awesome assignment. And I want you to hear me and hear me well today, beloved. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. You're not in the habit of saying amen and you want to start. That's a good place to say it right there. God's timing is perfect. Amen. Amen. We want relief now. We want the answer now. We want deliverance now. But God says, wait, wait, my child. I'm not done with you yet. You're not ready yet. I'm preparing you. I'm molding you. I'm shaping you. Don't grow discouraged. Wait on me. Trust me. One pastor I know wrote, I spent most of my life trying to get things from God before I was ready to receive them or before God was ready to give them to me. What a way to spend a life. We need to learn. Now, hear me. We need to learn to embrace these waiting times. Now, that's good preaching and hard living to embrace waiting. I don't want to wait for anything. Much less in difficulty. We have a hard time saying with Samuel Rutherford, praise God for the hammer, the file and the furnace. Because the hammer molds us, the file sharpens us and the fire tempers us. When we face injustice, and by the way, Joseph faced his share of injustice. We can either grow bitter or better. We can cry out, why me, Lord? Or we can cry out, what now, Lord? What is it that you want me to learn now? What lessons do you want me to take to heart? What is it that you're doing in my life? What are you trying to teach me in this? I want you to understand something. The butler may have forgotten Joseph, but God had not. Joseph is waiting, but notice secondly this morning, Pharaoh dreaming. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. Now, What do you think powerful men and women dream about at night? You ever thought about that? What does our president dream about at night? I think maybe our current president dreams about there's a couple more days and I'm done. It's been a rough time. But what do you think they dream about? Well, we know what Pharaoh dreamed about. And in this instance, he dreamed about, you ready? Cows and corn. Some of you farmers didn't know that you were in such good company, did you? That's what you dream about. Cows and corn. Now, what did he dream about these cows and corns? We find that Pharaoh's dreams turned into nightmares. They greatly disturbed him. Let's quickly summarize his dreams. He's standing, it says there, by the river. Verse 1. We would understand it to be the river Nile there. And he sees seven fat cows crawl up out of the river. And they're there grazing in the meadow. And as he's dreaming, he sees seven scrawny, puny little cows come up out of the river And those scrawny, puny, sickly-looking cows, they eat up the fat cows, and he wakes up. You thought your dreams were strange. And maybe Pharaoh thought, well, I got a bad piece of steak at supper tonight, and he went back to sleep. He dreams a second dream, and he sees a stalk of corn. And seven ears come up on that stalk, and they're good, and they're plump. Ideal. You getting hungry yet? But as he's seeing that, he sees seven thin ears beat by the wind come up 
And those seven thin ears eat up the seven good ears and he wakes up. Now, look at verse eight. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. He went and called all together his advisors, his counselors, the wisdom of, of Egypt, all these folks that are supposed to be so knowledgeable. And he wants an interpretation. It says Pharaoh told them his dream, verse eight. But there was none that could interpret the dream unto Pharaoh. We're reminded, beloved, that God is sovereign. God is in control. No matter how great Pharaoh may be, God is greater. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. We find in Proverbs 21, 1, that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water and he turneth it whithersoever he will. And God disturbed Pharaoh's dreams to carry out his sovereign plan. Never forget this, beloved. God is still on the throne. I think about that old song. Perhaps you've heard it or sung it before. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. Though troubles may press us and trials distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Joseph is waiting Pharaoh is dreaming. Notice thoroughly the cupbearer remembering verse nine. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. If you're like me, I want to say, well, finally, finally, you remember. Verse 10, Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in the one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, Joseph. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to this dream, did we, he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. And he restored unto mine office and him he hanged. He remembered. Let's be honest for a moment. One has to wonder if the chief butler really forgot or chose to forget. There's a difference. Yeah. If you consider his situation, I lean toward the latter. I think he chose to forget. He was restored to his office. He was no doubt very grateful to be back at Pharaoh's side. And he was grateful to be alive, period, because the baker had been put to death. I would say that man walked around on eggshells. He was careful for a long time. He wanted to stay in Pharaoh's good graces. And to be honest with you, I think he thought of an unwise career choice to talk to the boss about a Hebrew slave and a prisoner who he was with in prison to interpret his dreams. I think he chose to forget, but regardless, whether he really forgot or chose to forget, we know this. God is in charge. And God saw to it that he did not speak to Pharaoh. It was not time for Joseph to be brought out yet. But when the time came, God made sure that this fellow remembered. Listen, Christian, God knows where you are. He has your address. He has your cell phone number. He has your email address. Others may forget you. Others may ignore you. But I want you to know something. God never does and never will. The cupbearer remembers here and Pharaoh, we know he's probably obviously very desperate. He sends for this Hebrew prisoner. It says in verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. 
Now, we've seen Joseph waiting and Pharaoh dreaming, the cupbearer remembering. I want you to notice fourthly this morning, Joseph interpreting. And as we look at these next verses, I want to point out four things to you. And you stay with me. I want you to notice, first of all, his response in verse 14. It says, they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into Pharaoh. I want you to notice his response. Joseph woke up that day. Just like the days before it, he's a prisoner. He has responsibilities, of course, because he's the chief prisoner. Uh, he's, he's risen to the top here. But little did he know on that day that something would happen that would change his life forever and change history. And I want you to notice this about his response. First of all, he changed his appearance. It says he shaved himself. Now, God saw fit that, that was recorded in the Bible for us to read. He shaved himself. Understand, normally the Egyptians were clean shaven. Joseph has been in prison. He's a Hebrew. He probably looked kind of scraggly and rough. But Joseph was going to meet with the king, Pharaoh, and he prepared himself. He shaved. He no doubt, I guess they didn't have showers, but he cleaned himself up. He prepared himself. He changed his appearance. And I want you to notice, secondly, he changed his apparel. It says there in verse 14, he changed his raiment. He traded his prison uniform, those rags, for a clean set of clothes. He's been in prison for over two years, yet Joseph still had his dignity. He would appear properly and respectfully before Pharaoh. I like what Ken Hughes said. In a flash, Joseph was shaved, sanitized, Egyptianized, and presented to Pharaoh. He prepared himself. We notice his response. Notice, secondly, his words. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, God. It is not in me, God, shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I want you to notice he deflected glory from himself and he directed glory to his God. Joseph was his life was God focused. It was God directed. Now, here was his big chance. He's a prisoner. He's standing before the most powerful man in all the world at that moment. And this man is looking to him. And yet, instead of trying to secure his release, Gain promotion, honor, glory for himself. He's standing before Pharaoh. He's careful to direct all the praise, all the glory, all the credit to God and God alone. I don't find any rudeness in Joseph. I don't find any cockiness in him here. I don't find an attitude. I mean, here I am. I'm a prisoner. I'm not going to help you. Joseph stands not trying to defend himself. Get a free, free out of jail pass. He sees an opportunity to honor and glorify God. And do you see his boldness here? He doesn't hesitate to mention God, Jehovah, to Pharaoh. What does that tell us? Those two more years, they didn't erode his faith. He hadn't given up on God. We see his response. We see his words. Let's notice his interpretation. Drop down. Pharaoh repeats the dreams. Drop down to verse 25. Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind or cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. The seven thin and ill-favored kind, cows that came up after them, are seven years. The seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. 
This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. There shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the, plen- and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. His interpretation, basically this, there's going to be fruitfulness, and there's going to be famine. Seven fruitful years, seven years of terrible famine. God gave the dream twice. It's sure it's coming shortly. That's what it means. That's what it means. God has given the answer. Notice not only his interpretation, but his instructions. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn of the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, the land that the land perish not through the famine. He gives Pharaoh some instructions here. And I'm going to cover these very quickly because we're probably going to come back later on, maybe next week or another week to come. And revisit this with some things I want you to catch here. But very quickly, he gives us some instructions. Set the right man in charge. And save and store 20% during the good years. Now, I want to say Joseph was bold here because Pharaoh had not asked for advice. But I believe God, be, God leading Joseph, Joseph being led by God, Joseph gives him some. And we'll look at those in today's come. But let me ask you this. What do we do with this guy, Joseph? What do we do with him? What a remarkable man. You just you can't keep him down. I get convicted studying his life. Now I get aggravated over the little piteliest thing. And I look at Joseph's life. What what was it about him? We've learned it already, haven't we? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. What are we to take with us today, preacher, from this story? I think several things. I think we can rest and rejoice in the fact that our God is sovereign. He is in control. I don't care what goes on the economy, anything. God is in charge. God is in control. He's still on the throne. We can rest in the fact that he's working in our lives. He's working in our lives. Even when it seems everything is going wrong. Romans 8, 28 is still true. We can rejoice and rest in the fact that he is faithful. He's working here to preserve Joseph and his family. He's working here to preserve the nation of Israel to keep his covenant promises. There was a reason why Joseph was going through this. God was not playing games with Joseph. God was using Joseph in a remarkable way. And Joseph would later on of his own lips say these words in chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And I think something else we can take with us is this. We can rest in his timing. In other words, we're to keep waiting on God. We need to slow down and stop trying to force ourselves. Stop trying to force our agenda and say, God, I give up. I'm yours. I surrender. Work in my life. And we need to wait on him. We need to trust the father's timing in our lives. He's working to bring about our good And his glory. There once was a fellow who with his dad farmed a little piece of land. 
And several times a year, they would load up the old ox-drawn cart with vegetables and they go to the nearest city to sell their produce. Now, I'll be honest with you, except for their name and the patch of ground, the father and son had very little in common. The old man believed in taking it easy. And the boy was a fellow who was in a hurry. He was a go-getter type. And one morning, bright and early, they hitched up the ox to the loaded cart and started the long journey. And the son figured if they walked faster and kept going all day and all night, they'd make it to the market by the next morning. So he kept prodding the ox with a stick, urging that beast to move on down the road. We're in a hurry. Get on. His father said, take it easy, son. You'll last longer. But if we get to the market ahead of the others, we have a better chance of getting good prices, argued the son. The dad made no reply. He just pulled his hat down over his eyes and fell asleep on the seat. The son, itchy and irritated, kept goading that ox to walk faster. His stubborn pace refused to change. And four hours and four miles later down the road, they came to a little house. The father woke up, smiled and said, here's your uncle's place. Let's stop and say hello. But we've lost an hour already, the son said. Then a few more minutes won't matter, said the father. My brother and I live so close, yet we see each other so seldom. And the boy fidgeted and he fumed while the two old men laughed and talked away almost an hour. Well, on the move again, and the man took his turn leading the ox. The ox. As they approached a fork in the road, the father led the ox to the right. The left is shorter, said the son. I know it, replied the old man, but this way is much prettier. Have you no respect for time? The young man asked impatiently. Oh, I respect it very much. That's why I like to look at the beauty and enjoy each moment to the fullest. Well, this winding path led through graceful meadows and wildflowers and along a rippling stream, all of which the young man missed as he churned within, preoccupied and boiling with anxiety. He didn't even notice the lovely sunset that day. Twilight found them in what looked like a huge, colorful garden. The old man breathed in the aroma listened to the bubbling brook and pulled the ox to a stop. Let's sleep here, he sighed. The sun snapped. This is the last trip I'm taking with you. You're more interested in watching sunsets and smelling flowers than in making money. Why, that's the nicest thing you've said in a very long time, smiled the dad. And a couple of minutes later, he was snoring as the boy was glaring at the stars, the night dragged on so slowly, the sun was restless. Before sunrise, the young man hurriedly shook his father awake. They hitched up and went on. And about a mile down the road, they happened upon another farmer, a total stranger, trying to pull his cart out of a ditch. Let's give him a hand, whispered the old man, and lose more time, exploded the son. Relax, son. You might be in a ditch sometime yourself. We need to help others in need. Don't forget that. And the boy looked away in anger. It was almost eight o'clock that morning by the time the other cart was back on the road. And suddenly a great flash split the sky. What sounded like thunder followed. And beyond the hills, it grew very, very dark. The old man says, looks like a big rain in the city. The son grumbled, if we'd hurried, we'd be almost sold out by now. Take it easy, son. You'll last longer. And you'll enjoy life so much better, counseled the wise old gentleman. 
I want you to know, friend, it was late afternoon by the time they got to the hill overlooking that city. And both of them stopped and stared for a long, long time. And neither one of them spoke a word. And finally, the young man put his hand on the father's shoulder and said, I see what you mean, Dad. And they turned their cart around and began to roll slowly away from what had once been the city of Hiroshima. I say to you again, friend, learn to wait on the Father's timing. God's timing is perfect. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. And God will have His will accomplished to His honor and His glory. Father, we love You today. Help us, Father. We're so in a hurry. We want our own way and our own agenda. Father, help us. Forgive us. Help us to surrender and wait for you. Two years was a long time for Joseph to wait. But you were preparing him. You were molding him. You had an awesome plan for his life. Father, I'm sure there are many in this church today that are waiting. Difficult circumstances, difficult situations. Father, help them to rest on you, to rely on you. Father, I pray if there are those today who do not even know you, they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. They're not waiting on you. They don't know you. I pray today they'll come in repentance and faith and trust Christ and Christ alone. Work in our invitation time, I pray, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.